one month from today, Easter. Can you believe that? Wow. And that song right there just gets me stirring and thinking. I personally have been in my study already preparing, waiting for that time to come. But until we get there, we're going to walk through Ephesians together. Hey, I would be remiss not to say, what a sad, but what a glorious home going for Dr. Graham. Amen? How many of you were impacted by the life of Dr. Billy Graham? Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a Christian, you have been. Just if you come to this church, you've been impacted because he had a huge impact on me. Don and I personally got to hear him in uh, 1983. It was called KC83. It was one of the biggest college movements, and we were doing students in college then. And we took a busload to Kansas City and got to see Billy Graham, got to hear him. Man, it was, it was powerful. God used that man. I, when I think about Billy Graham, I think of Moses. I think of the most humble man besides Jesus and Moses that ever walked the earth. It was probably Billy Graham. A man of integrity, a man of influence, a man of the gospel. Amen? And I so wish I could do his voice. I, I used to practice little voices, but I never got the Billy Graham one down, so I won't try to do that for you, okay? But I loved it, and I loved to hear his daughter, Ann Graham Lights. She says, Jesus, just like her daddy did, okay? Here we are, Ephesians chapter 4, open your Bibles, verse 17 through 32 is where we pick up text today. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and continual lust for more. And we'll walk through all these passages. I just, I just want to kind of set it up of thinking this. A lot of times people are like, how high can you jump? <laughs> kind of spiritually, kind of an illustration here. And it's not how high you jump or how loud you scream or how high you raise your hands or how much you can dance or whatever you can do or even how much scripture you can quote it's about when you come down how can you walk and how straight is your walk and the church said see here's what i know it's easy to get married i've been a pastor for a long time done a lot of weddings officiated that and they're awesome and it's easy to get couples married it's another thing to keep couples married you know what i'm saying and in a few weeks, we'll see about the marriage thing that the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians, he'll begin to address. But I want you to fill in the first blank. The old self is the source of our conflict. Just go ahead and fill that in, conflict. We all have a conflict waging in our soul. If we're in Christ, there's still a conflict. If you're not in Christ, you're not even so aware that you're in constant chaos and conflict and you need intervention of Christ. You need the intervention of the Holy Spirit. But here is that conflict that just is incessant. It just rolls and rolls around in our mind and our hearts, and it goes after us. But when you become a Christian, when you are born again, that Dr. Graham talked about so many times, your life gets flipped. I like that term flip. I like to watch HGTV. Yeah, I got a man card, okay? And they flip houses. And they flip them into a new transformed house. And when your life and mine gets flipped, Christ begins to rearrange the room, doesn't he, church? And you think about, man, the changes that Jesus Christ has brought in your life. But the great thing is he didn't just come in in one year. For me, it was January 1978. I can remember it like yesterday when Christ came into my heart and life and changed me. And there's still a lot of work to do in this old boy, just like there is for you girls and guys. And 
Here's what I know about when you get in Christ. Talk about living a new way. Sin is not fun anymore. See, sin is fun, the Scripture teaches, for a season. But your sins will find you out, say the book of Numbers. And sin always leads to death. So that sinful nature that we tended to embrace, to live experientially in so much, it just loses its zest. It just loses its control over us because darkness becomes light. I tell people that all the time. One of the scriptures that I love is when the scripture says God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness. He's transferred us over to the kingdom of light in the son in whom he loves. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You've got a new kingdom, a new light, a new way of life to live out this thing, to move in him. So in verses 17 here and following, he begins to give this admonition to those that are in Christ, to those that are faith, that they, they walked in, a, in an unsaved, negative manner, if you will. Not that we get perfect and don't like this morning, I say we need to confess our sins and go to the Lord's table and receive Holy Communion. But we begin this, this new walk, this walk that has been flipped, this walk that has been changed, this walk that has meaning, this walk that gives purpose, this walk that just changes how you look at things. It gives you, you know when you're with somebody and they have a new perspective and it's a perspective you need? It's called going to a counselor. It's maybe going to church. It's going to a small group. It's in worship. I, I don't know. For me, it happens in all those places. That God begins to change and rearrange who we are and conform us. And there was a guy in history, I remember studying him in school. His name was St. Augustine. Some call him Augustine, but I choose to call him Augustine. And he was a, a fourth century believer. And before he came to Christ, he was quite the character probably like some of you that wasn't funny okay he was a lot like me probably before I knew Christ and others but although he had some things that I didn't participate in so I, I don't want to clarify this because the analogy I used I, that was not what I did anyway there was one day there's a story that uh you'll see why I said that now a, a, a prostitute friend approached him okay I know nothing about that and she says Augustine I want to come home with you I, I have been home with you many times I want to go home with you and he ignored her, and he kept walking. And she went running up and said, Augustine, it is me. It is me. You know me, Augustine. <laughs> and here's what he says. Yes, I know it is you, but it is not me. Bye. And he went on. He'd had his life changed. He no longer had a zeal or a zest for this. He knew that was sinful, that was harmful, that was deathly for him. And he began to walk after Christ. So a lot of times you read about these people in Scripture, you read about these great people in church history, and they have a very checkered past. But the great thing is, just like the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul got arrested by the grace of God on the Damascus Road and God transformed him, he was a new man, church. Don and I went to the screening the other night of the Apostle Paul from the account of Luke. And I can't, it comes out the Wednesday before Easter. And we'll be promoting that around here. It's a very well-done movie. Matter of fact, a guy you've probably heard of, Jim Caviezel, he played Christ in The Passion of the Christ. He happens to be Luke in this movie. But let's keep going. So aimless, pointless, without hope. That's who we are without Christ. All right, so let's look at the outline, verse 17 to 19. Think differently now from the world. That's what we're called to do as Christ followers. Now we have a new mind. We have the mind of Christ. Let it transform it. Let's think differently. We were sightless. We were morally bankrupt before 
But now we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now we need to walk in, in a new way. Now we have a new capacity. We were foolish before, but now we have this light of Christ that I don't have to be consumed with shame and guilt and all those things any longer. I can walk hard after my Savior. I can walk hard after Christ. See, in the time here in Ephesus, sin was rampant just like it is in 2018 in America and the world. Sexual immorality was incredibly off the charts there. Temple prostitutes, on and on, and they would give some of their proceeds to the temple to run the temple and different things. It was the, uh, and this wasn't the Christian or, or the Jewish temple. This was the pagan temple that they paid honor to. And, but all this sin and that word that you don't hear anymore, licentiousness, yeah, it's even hard to say. Basically, it's just immoral, it's wrong, it's sinful debauchery, it's, it, it's wrong living. They were so caught up in that. And Paul came to address them that uh, he, he makes an argument, if you will. Look, look at the, verse 20. Trust Christ completely, which means learning Christ. See, that's what happened to Paul. When Paul met Jesus, the one that he had persecuted, the ones that had proclaimed him on mission, now he comes to Christ and he goes on all these missionary movements that proclaims, that opens up the gospel to new regions. And even to this day, the Apostle Paul is preaching so loud to us through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit. But it says, in one translation, he learned Christ. Another one, it says that, let me go down here and see if I can sit here. In verse... Uh, Look there in 420. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. It basically just means you, you were taught, you were converted, you now have a personal relationship with Jesus. So now you need to walk in a new way from the old way you've been living. You've been living over here, but you've got to move off Sin Street. You've got to be like Augustine. You've got to leave that behind. And now you've got to pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow Christ. And it means a new life. It means high morals. It means absolutes in your life. It means forgiveness. It means grace. It means mercy. It, it just means new, so many things. And yet, then we begin, this is what I love about following Christ. We now can hear the voice of God. Jesus said in John one day, and I speak, and the, and the shepherd speaks, and they hear my voice, and they follow me. We know about sheep that they're very, prone to wander just like us but a shepherd they're tuned into his voice you, you you watch your dog go home and play with your dog and when you call them by their name unless you're just dumb what do they do and i'm not calling your dog dumb don't go home they don't have to go to therapy for it they they come to you man they they, they like that name I, I love i love it when you have kids and our grandkids today and, and when they you know begin to respond you know, they responded to you, they, they love, they want to receive love and all that, but when you call their name, how they stop what they're doing, and immediately, you know, I, I can remember this growing up, I always heard my name, I heard my name a lot, we won't say why, but this is what I remember, and to this point right now, I can hear it clearly, he's been dead 24 years this June, but when I heard these words, Thomas Keith, he said it just that loud, the boy came running. My dad was a big football player at Auburn. He had big, huge forearms, and he was, John knew him, and he, he was awesome. I loved my daddy, but my daddy did not know what a telephone was. You know, we didn't have cell phones then, okay? But my dad would step out the back door. Keith! Dogs would start barking. My neighbors would start, my, yeah, you laugh. It was my dad. And I would go running. 
But if I ever waited to hear, Thomas Keith, dude, I put it in high speed and made it to the house. I heard that voice. I could be doing whatever mischief I was doing like I ever did some, a bunch. What are you laughing about? And I, heard, I knew that voice. I was attuned to that voice. And I tell you that just to say, how attuned are you to the voice of the Spirit? How attuned are you to the voice of Jesus? You're walking a new way. You begin to hear his voice. Don't walk that way. That way is sinful. That way is death. That way will destroy you. That way is full of addictions. That way is blank, 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 blank. But this is the way. Walk in it. Oh, Lord, I, I love that. So we can change. We can quit walking in conflict. We begin to trust him. And, and verse, let me back up here, or go to verse 22. You were taught regard to the former way of life to put your old, off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holy, holiness. So fill it in, verse 24. Put off the old, put on the new. Take off those old, old, nasty clothes and put on the new clothes of Christ. Put on the new heart of your master. Begin to follow after him. He begins, that, that word that I've taught you before is, is repent, it's metanoia. It means to change your mind completely and now follow after Jesus in a new direction, in a new way. And what I do know is repentance has never been a one-time thing. Repentance is a continual, daily hour by hour, moment by moment thing for some of us that we need in our life. And Christ comes today. He says, put on that new man. See, we, we had a small group here a couple weeks ago that we did. We talked about the mind. And here's what I know about the mind. You can write this down. The battle is always won or lost in the mind. You win or lose spiritually in the mind. That's when we put on the helmet of salvation we'll talk about in a few weeks to protect our thoughts so just ask yourself, God, what kind of thoughts do I have? Am I thinking with the mind of Christ? Am I putting off the old? Am I putting on the new? Am I laying those things aside? In the early Olympic Games there, in the great structures of Greece long ago, they would cast off their clothes. They would cast off things that would entangle them that they could run faster. Even some commentaries get a little comical. It's almost like they got naked and they just went running down the street. I'm thinking, Jesus, help us, you know? But they just got free. They didn't want anything to entangle them. And for us, it's the things that entangle us are our sin behaviors and patterns. And God says, put those off. But, but put on the newness of your Savior. Throw it off like you would dirty clothes. How many of you, you, you were, yesterday I worked in the yard. It was a beautiful day to work in the yard. And I got a little musty while I was outside. And this morning, I thought about wearing those clothes to adorn my body and to be with you and have blessed fellowship. I did not. Nasty. I get through with that, couldn't wait to throw them in the dirty clothes and go take a shower. And you're saying, well, that's kind of a horrible illustration. Well, you understand, I mean, I wouldn't do that. And God says, your sin is really the same way here. Um, let, let's keep going. I'll come back to that. Verse 25. In verse 25, he says, therefore, you know, put off lies. The NIV says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor well uh the word there in the greek is pseudos to lie describes an, an untrue statement that we make about one another it's a conscious intentional falsehood and we could go down through history of leaders and presidents and and athletes and profiles and people and people in this room and people that used to come to this room and people we run into 
our, our world's full of lies. I mean, it just is. And yet Christ says, now put off the lies. Put off the falsehoods. And put on the truth of who I am. Put on the, the truthful way. One, one guy came up with these three boys one day, and they were all telling lies. You, you, you know how when you're little sometimes you can just start telling stories? You, did you ever do that when you were little? And you're like, man, you know, I'm doing this and whatever. And people are like, I don't believe you. So this one guy, and they said, now whoever tells the biggest lie wins the dog. So these boys, they, they'd amped up their game. I mean, they were telling the big stories. And this man walked up, and he thought he was going to, he was kind of self-righteous, and he thought he would teach them something. He says, boys, let me tell y'all something. I have never thought, I've never considered telling a lie in all my life. And the little boys looked at one another and said, he wins the dog. They just gave it to him. They're like, man, you're a liar. Because, you know, if we're honest in here, you don't have to go, well, I did lie. And everybody's like, what lie did you tell you? But have, have we all been guilty of telling a lie? Have we all been guilty of telling a lie? Yeah. Now, I didn't say this morning, because then you're like, and, and maybe you did this morning, and maybe, maybe that's a good thing to confess now and get it right, and maybe before you came to communion. But uh, I know this scripture talks to us about our speech, and we're going to move to that in a moment in, in this section. Because, see, we have gone from heavy doctrinal teaching, the first three chapters, heavy theology. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, he gets extremely practical. Here's, here's uh, application for your life. But this book is so rich, and the whole series is complete in Christ. And I'm hoping we're being more complete. Uh, Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes. Liars want to crush, don't they? They want to accuse others. And maybe you've participated, I, I hope now in Christ, that that is not your style, your practice, your consistent way of living that you've decided to put on, put on Christ even in, in, in your mind, in your conscience, in, in the way you do things. But let's look at verse 26. Keep going. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Great verse for marriage. Great verse for life. Great verse for all of us. And basically, he's saying, loosen your grip on your anger, on your sin. L let it go. Don't, don't let the sun go down because if, if it does, then you go to sleep and it stews and maybe it grows over the night and you wake up the next day and you're still bent out of shape or maybe you're more angry than you were when you went to bed and God says, for, for marriage, for any relationship. But man, don't let the sun go down your anger. Go keep a short account with God. Get it, get it right. Um, Lord, I want to ask you, because God, I can't do anything in the night, but you can. How many believe that God can do things when we sleep? Do y'all believe that? I, I believe God can do things in our sleep because he's a sovereign, all-powerful God. Let me just tell you how I know that. On Saturday nights, I make my last run through for Sunday morning. Been working on the sermon all week. And some Saturday nights, I go to bed. And it's way after Donna, and I'm going, now, Jesus, this stinks. <laughs> this message, I don't think it's getting off the ground. And, man, I, it's not funny. And I've worked so hard. And I was like, man, it is, pfft, just put a fire to it. Man, this is horrible. And some of you are like, yeah, we, we've sat through a few of those. Oh, stop it. I'm giving them my best, okay? But then I'll go to sleep, and I'll ask God as I drift off, Lord God, saturate my mind with your truth, with your scripture. God, give me something for the body tomorrow. And I tell you, I feel like most of the time when I wake up, God has done something to try to even organize my best attempts of proclaiming his word, and I see him come to pass. I just know that my God works in the dark. I know that my God works at night. I know God works while you sleep. And you're saying, well, 
So I don't, want, I don't want to give anger an opportunity, a foothold to the devil to let it just be poisoned in my heart and then rise up the next day and destroy somebody. Uh, anger, let me tell you something else about anger. He, he says, you know, don't let the sun go in your anger. Write this down. Anger interrupts our gospel witness. If you want to be a witness for Christ, and I believe you all do, that's why you come, but you're an angry person, it, it just it, it messes up. It entangles it tangles up your witness for christ i I don't think people can hear as clear because they go man i I don't know about this christ that is so full of love and compassion i think you're an angry person matter i think you're mean (laughs) and so god wants to do something new in us listen to proverbs 16 32 write that down whoever is slow to anger and quick to surrender it before bedtime is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city God, we just want to learn to be a people on a journey of faith that we lay down our anger and we go, God, I want to have nothing to do with it. I don't want it to rule my life. I certainly don't want it to rule my home or my relationships with others. In verse 27, he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. That's pretty self-explanatory. You sin, you get angry, unrighteous anger here, you hold on to it, it, it taints it undermines, it ruins, it, I would say it even destroys your, your witness for Christ. Uh, you know, you just, it, I, I think you see the point. So uh, in that anger, have you ever noticed when we get angry, there's something we do as humans sometimes. When we get angry sometimes, we raise our voice. Now, don't raise your hand, but I think probably a lot of you raise your voice when you get a little angry. <laughs> oh, you already raised, I said don't raise your hand, but you did, Okay. And, and you can just feel it. It comes out. There's, there's emotion in you. And, and, uh, and, and that's part of it. It's, it's an emotion that we have anger. And there's a time for anger, but especially righteous anger. But a lot of times it's self-righteous anger and it's fleshly anger. And somebody's done something, offended us, and we carry that offense. And we don't lay that offense down. And that anger burns. And God's like, I, I don't want to have any part of it. It's just going to ruin your witness. But let, let's keep going here. So he talks about angry. or He, does, he talks about anger. He talks about anger. He, look at verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, and he may have something to share with those in need. In the Greek, it's really fun. Well, it's not funny, but it, it's interesting. The word is kleptoto. Kleptoto. We get the word klepto. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't, don't steal. M- move away from that. Put off. St- here, here, write this down. Put off stealing. Put on sharing. Put off the stealing, the old way, the old nature, but put on sharing. Have something to share with those in need. Um, uh, let's just be honest about the stealing thing. Oh, I, I, when I go in to buy razors, you have to have, I have to call Tim to get special tools to break into my Mont 3 Gillette razors. No, I really don't. But you, you ever notice when you buy stuff, they package that stuff. I mean, Pastor, I don't cuss, okay? I, I gave up cussing when I came to Christ. God transformed that, okay? Praise God. But I got to tell you, there's old flesh patterns from over 40 years ago that I feel come up when I'm trying to tear into a package. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, how many of you like this package? And it's because, and, and you go look at something and go, sir, we have to go find somebody in the store. There's only three of us. And they have to unlock that because you could steal that. I'm like, Show me the money. Here, I want to buy this. You know, this, this stealing thing is out of control. And, I mean, every, everywhere you go, everybody's checking to make sure somebody's not stealing something, you know. So if we just read our Bibles and go, God, you don't want us to steal. 
Because if we don't steal, we, we honor you. We bless you. Lord, here it is. So we, we want to put that off. But here we go. He's going to come down to this, and it's like James talks about it. Proverbs talks about it. Because I'm preaching an expositional series, I probably wouldn't have done it because I've done it a number of times, so I'm trying to give you a couple new insights. Now he's going to talk to us about speech pattern. Put off corrupt, vile communication. But I'm put on the words of Christ. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. One, I think old King James says, put off unwholesome talk. Just get rid of it. You, you don't need that. Um, it, you know, here, here's what it means in the Greek. We, we lose it, but, but I, I just want you to get prepared for this, especially right before you go to lunch. This will help you eat a healthier lunch. Ready? Unwholesome, sepo. It means rotten, putrid, corrupt, disgusting, perishing, rank, foul, worthless. It's like spoiled fish, rotten grapes on the ground. Could I do any more? That's what our speech is when it's not redeemed. When our speech rises out of the flesh and not out of the spirit, it basically spoils people. It, 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 it hurts them. And, and, and so as I kept studying this, I just thought about, man, how repugnant can my speech and yours be? This rotten speech just like smelly fish. It's like rotten fruit. It's not pleasing. The scripture says, be a pleasing fragrance, a pleasing aroma to Jesus Christ as your witness. Not decaying flesh. Here's some things that our flesh is bad. Our speech, vulgarity, obscenities, indecent language, racial and ethnic insults, angry outbursts, harsh words, gossip, rumors, false accusations, yelling, screaming, quick cutting remarks, sarcasm, cheap shots, exaggerating the faults of others, excusing it only to say, I was only joking. No, you weren't joking. You just got caught. You, you meant that. It was really what was in your heart. Oh, man, am I guilty of that. Every critical comment that comes out of our mouth, no, Lord, help us not do that. Help us not to have harsh words. Help us not to have words that demean, that uh, put down other people. Help us have those words that will lift you up. Proverbs 18, 21, write it down. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue. So every time we open our mouth, Lord, let it be pleasing in your sight. Oh, I pray this a lot. Man, do I fall so short. I can only imagine if I didn't pray about it so much, even how much worse it would be. God, I, I want us to be people that minister grace to those that hear us as we speak. A guy that I've read over the years, I've really enjoyed him. He wrote a book one time called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon McDonald. Tremendous communicator and writer. I read this story this week that just kind of really pierced me. It's really been speaking to me. Listen to it. He tells the story of a trip to Japan. He took as a young man and one day he was walking the streets of Yokohama with an old pastor and he made a comment to this pastor about a mutual friend it was a quick sarcastic remark from his tongue that was unkind and unnecessary the old pastor stopped Gordon in his tracks and said this and when I read this I went man we need to write this down a man who truly loves God would not talk about a friend like that he said again a man who truly loves God would not talk about a friend like that. Gordon McDonald says, that knife, that 
phrase that he gave me was like a knife that went in and plunged between my ribs. It was so great. He said that one comment from this wise old pastor in Japan, he said when he spoke that word, he says, at least 10,000 times has his phrase come alive in me to keep me from speaking things that a Christian shouldn't speak like that. So here's the thing. I'm not trying to cause to be a bunch of Pollyannas or whatever. What I am trying to cause is to be a righteous, holy people of God. And the church said, and, 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 and I don't know about you, I say things that I'm like, man, I don't want to say that. That's just not, it's harmful. It's not helpful. And so I'm asking God to bridle my tongue and your tongue that we would glorify him, that people would be drawn to the sweetness of this incredible Savior named Jesus, not some caustic guy that's making a comment off the cuff remark sometimes it's easy to get caught up in office politics or whatever and make remarks and then go probably shouldn't have said that no i probably i shouldn't have said that not probably and the holy spirit is so gentle sometimes he's pretty forceful he just goes hey change that it's not a way for a christian no more stinking speech for you move, move with me here in the text so he talks about benefit others build them up Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. It's deep emotion here. Don't grieve. You see, what you can do, you can irritate a stranger, and we've all done it. You can offend a casual acquaintance, and we've probably all done that. But you can only grieve someone that's close to you. And how dare we grieve the heart of holy God? God, help us not to grieve you and the Holy Spirit by the way we live, by the way we say things, by the way we think things, by the way we do things. God, help us to get you that we, you don't weep. Look at the box. Just fill it in with me. Every time I speak carelessly, I hurt at least three people. Here it is, number one. It's the person that I speak in a careless manner about. See, when I, when I speak just uh, spiritual diarrhea or verbal diarrhea, just throwing it out there, and I just speak it out, I, I, I hurt them. The second person is, I hurt myself. I hurt my witness. I hurt the spirit man within me. And the third one is, I hurt the Holy Spirit. I hurt God. And I just pray that God will somehow take these words today and he'll begin to uh, help us to exchange the old life and walk in a new manner of life that's worthy that we talked about last weekend, of the walk of Christ. Lord, help me to build up, help me to encourage, not to wound, not to have rotten attitudes, but to uh, uh, just realize that I need transformation, I need change. So God, help us to live in a new way today and every day that uh, when we make sentences and thoughts, help us, to, help us to speak in a manner that would uh, add value in life and would build people up. I'm leaving this afternoon for a meeting with some pastors, our southeastern foxhole, and when I do these, I get to get around other pastors, and we sharpen, and we challenge one another, and we'll go, this uh, particular one, we're going to be talking about mentoring and coaching, and man, I, I want to learn, I want to grow. I, I tell you all the time around here, a disciple is a learner, and if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to be studying and learning and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus every day, and the church said every day it's not like man i already did that i already went through confirmation i already went to summer camp i already went through beth moore 17 20, 1722 studies i've already done the priscilla study i've already done the gordon mcdonald thing. i've already i don't care 
want you to do the Jesus thing every day. I mean, that's what we need. We, we want to pursue him that, Lord, we, we give it up to you. But move here with me as, as I land this plane. I promised you I would. In verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and then be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Man, that's, that's the good hope that God says forgiveness. Forgiveness is realistic for the Christ follower. It seems a little theoretical sometimes, like, well, I know I should, I know I need it, but it's what God wants. I just want to read a couple of verses over you that I ask that the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it cuts you and me, and it reads us. Just listen. I, as I was studying, I just thought these verses might speak to somebody today. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. In Isaiah 43, 25, I, yes, alone am the one who blots out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. I love that passage from Isaiah where God gives us that promise. Acts 10, verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. And I can read scripture after scripture after scripture that God wants to forgive you and me. That's the message of the cross. God forgives sinners. He forgives wicked, putrid, putrid, rotten people like me and you by the grace of Christ. I stated earlier about Billy Graham. I loved it. He was always known for just a country boy preacher that preached a pure gospel that always lifted high the cross of Christ in the person of Christ. Those great crusades he's held all over the world. And right now, I just read a thing, a guy that you like, Eric, Greg Laurie, a great teacher, evangelist. He does these harvest crusades. And I was reading a thing the other day. He says, yeah, I've learned everything I know from Jesus, basically, and Dr. Billy Graham. He said he had a huge impact on me. And he says, we want to continue to carry these crusades, and we want to carry the evangelistic work. And he's encouraging all pastors across the world to continue in the evangelistic pursuits of the gospel. And the church said, Man, people need Christ. A lot of times people today are not thinking they need Christ, but they do. He is our answer. So here's a thought. How do you know when you're truly forgiven? Just a quick thought and we'll pray. I no longer think about this issue day and night because I've given it up to Christ. I, I'm not trying to hold on to it. I no longer feel the need to seek revenge against that person because I've forgiven them. I'm not holding the grudge. And this is the one I love. I can, rec I can recall those who hurt me but now I can wish them well. I remember when God taught me this principle a few decades ago of people that had wounded me. And I get wounded a lot as a pastor. It's just the nature of the walk, the work. But God told me one day, if you want me to forgive you, then you forgive others. If you want an anointing on your life with the power of the gospel, then you keep short accounts and forgive others. And then I remember so vividly when the Lord said, now I want you to pray for those that have wronged you and hurt you, for I died for them. And I don't always nail this, folks. I, I fall short. But it's my habit that I want to pray for those that are against me. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? Amen? And right now, there's some people that don't like you. Can I just go ahead and tell you, there's some people that don't like you. Deal with it. <laughs> but pray for them. I know I used to pray these prayers. God, bring down fire on them in jesus name i pray the most self-righteous prayers you've ever heard and they'd go straight up to my ceiling and they would come back and they'd engulf me in flame 
not really, but I felt like it. God's like, that's not a prayer of a Christian. A prayer of a Christian is one that forgives and gives it to Christ, and they move on. So I'll close with this story. Claire Barton, you ever heard of her? She's the founder of the Red Cross. She was talking to a friend one day, and she made this comment that she brought this person that they both knew, and they knew that she'd spoken ill of them. She goes, years before, the person had done some very mean things to Claire. It really spoken harshly and critical about her and the friend asked claire she goes claire don't you remember what she did to you and i love this response i distinctly remember forgetting that and she walked on she wouldn't let this ill-spirited caustic sinful tongue destroy her she goes i gave it to jesus i forgot it Therefore, Claire Barton's a, kind of a hero in my book. She had this Christ walk, that part down. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to be here this morning. And Lord, I pray that through these verses in Ephesians, you are completing us in our walk with the Savior. I pray you're doing something new in each of us. And I pray by the Spirit of Jesus, we would rise up, be liberated, and we'd walk home a different way than we came in. Take our speech, take our habits, take our sharing, take our lives, and be glorified. Bring us back together again, mighty Jesus. Amen.